Tara had cancer. I had cancer. Now Molly's got cancer. I, if you've been around Redeemer, you've heard me share this cancer illustration. You're probably tired of it. But for the fresh ears here this morning, this will begin our sermon. You're in the store, grocery store. You're, you're in the line. And there's all the magazines. And you see on the front of the magazine, cure for cancer has been found. Do you get excited? It's a wonderful announcement, but whether or not you get excited depends upon what, which magazine it happens to be coming from, right? Because some, because some magazines are, are more credible than others. Some magazines you would quickly grab it to read because you know that generally speaking, it's a credible magazine. Others, you might not even pick it up, even though you absolutely love what the headline says, because you've got no belief, no confidence that what you would read is true. And the question that comes forth from that is, what magazine are you? Because we have an incredible announcement to make to the world, do we not? We've got an incredible message that we are proclaiming. That God in his great love has sent his son Jesus Christ into the world for us and for our salvation. That we who are sinners before a holy God who rightly and justly deserve his eternal condemnation can be forgiven and reconciled to him and have eternal life because God sent his son to live a holy life and to die a substitutionary death upon the cross and to rise from the dead three days later to ascend into heaven one day to come again and establish his kingdom over a new heavens and a new earth forever and forever. What an incredible message that we have to proclaim. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done or where you've been, your sins can be forgiven. And you can be reconciled to God and you can be made right with him and you can be adopted into his family and empowered by his very spirit and you can have the assurance of eternal life. What a message. But what magazine are you? Are you credible? Are you credible? Coming up January 30th through February 28th, we're asking all of you to participate in Awaken West Houston 2023. Some 15, 16, 17 churches across Katy are doing this with us. And it is a 30 days in which we're asking God's people to identify people in their life right here in Katy, West Houston, who may be far from God. They, they don't have a saving relationship with him. For those 30 days to fast as God would lead you and to pray earnestly for those seven. To serve and love them and even share the good news of the gospel with them. 
would you please join us for Awaken West Houston? Out in the foyer, you'll find a few things. If you got this book last year when we did Awaken West Houston, don't take another one. But if you don't have this book, please grab this little book. And then all of you who would like to participate, make sure you grab the little resource manual. It's got a handful of things in there, in particular the 30-day prayer guide. But then also it's got some information about Awaken and then on the back a place for all of us to write down seven people that we want to be praying for and serving and loving during those 30 days. So identify seven. We talked last week about fasting and praying. And as one said, fasting is simply an exclamation point on our prayers. Identify, fast and pray, and then love and serve in Jesus' name. We certainly want to be about communicating the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also want demonstration. I'm going to show you a text this morning where I think it's clear from God's word. But I've shared with you many times before as well, Prof. Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary was asked, Hey, Prof, when it comes to evangelism or living on mission with Jesus, which is more important, demonstration or communication? And you'll remember his answers. Well, when you jump on an airplane, which is most important, the right wing or the left? You've got to have If my Christian life and yours, if your discipleship to Jesus and desire to reach others for Christ is only demonstration, but no communication of the gospel, that's just one wing, and that plane won't fly. But if your discipleship to Jesus and your desire to reach others with the good news of the gospel is is only proclamation, but isn't bolstered and backed up, if you will, with the demonstration of a spirit-filled life. It's just one wing, and that plane will not fly. Jesus calls us to communicate the good news of the gospel, no question about it. But he also calls us to demonstrate the life change that a relationship with him brings. Jessica read to us from Matthew chapter 5. I'd like you to turn there if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at the verses that she read which deal with demonstration. You are salt of the earth, 13. You are the light of the world in verse 14. But lest we think that this is only about what we might call the quiet discipline of love and service and kindness and good deeds, I want us to notice the verse before, verses before, and even take the book as a whole in mind for just a moment. Starting in verse 3, we see the wonderful Beatitudes as Jesus was teaching 
his followers. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said these words to his disciples because he knew what was coming. He knew that his people, his followers, would, 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 would follow him for a bit of time, and then he would go to a cross he would die for the sins of his people. He would rise and ascend and go away. And he knew that he would be calling upon them to be in relationship with him, but also representatives of him. He knew that he would be calling them to live a distinctive lifestyle, but also to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And he knew, easy, he knew that by their association with Jesus, by naming the name of Jesus, by living a distinct lifestyle, and by proclaiming the gospel and the ways of God, that it would bring them into opposition with the world. He knew it was coming. And so he said to them, listen, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because you associate with me and because you talk about me, it won't always go easy. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What did prophets do? They proclaimed the word of the Lord, and Jesus is taking his disciples and saying, hey, just like the prophets of old were persecuted, so too will you as you proclaim the good news of the gospel. So it seems to me in the verses just prior, Jesus has in mind that we would be those who not merely demonstrate the gospel, but also communicate and proclaim the gospel, but then briefly just to take the whole book as a whole. This is just a neat little thing about the gospel of Matthew. There's a, there's a literary feature, it's called an inclusio. There's a fancy word for you. It means there's something at the beginning and there's something at the end that hold it all together. That could be in a paragraph or it could be, in this case, the whole book. There's a little phrase that... Be, that that shows up in verse in chapter 1, and there's a phrase that shows up in chapter 28, the beginning of the book and the end of the book that seemingly hold it all together. If you want, real quick, go back to chapter 1. Verse 20, when 
When Joseph had considered this, putting Mary away, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was God in the flesh. God with us. Now go to the very last chapter of the book, really the last paragraph of the book in Matthew chapter 28. This is after Jesus has died and risen. And in verse 16, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God with us. I am with you. The God who came from heaven's glory to save us from our sins and bring us into relationship with him, that very same God who now sends us out to make disciples, says, I am with you. So, Redeemer, Let's be a people who take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and share it with others. Well, that's communication, and we may spend some more time on that next week. But Jesus goes on in Matthew 5 to say a little bit about demonstration. The lifestyle that you and I live is crucial to faithfully living on mission with Jesus. He says to his disciples in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Commentators seemingly all say the same thing about that little phrase that, that salt was used for seasoning, preserving, and even in, in, in little measure, fertilizing. Jesus says to you and to me, you're the salt of the earth. You are seasoning. You're to make life better for those around you where I sprinkle you. You are the salt of the earth. You're for preserving. That wherever I put you, you're meant in measure to hold back evil in the world. And you are fertilizer. You are to contribute to the flourishing 
of the places where I put you. Jesus says, you're my people, and you're the salt of the earth. You are a gift to the unbelieving world. And if you and I think that Jesus has not sprinkled us on purpose for this sort of thing, then we're not thinking in accordance with Christ. He didn't put you nor me in the neighborhoods where we live just for fun. But rather, he sprinkled us there. Where you work, it's no accident. Where you go to school, it's not by chance. Nothing about your life and mine is just for fun to Jesus. So I'm going to put a little bit there, a little bit there, and a little bit there. You are the salt of the earth. You're my people, and you're meant to be a blessing, to season, to preserve, to help flourish. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? I think when Jesus says that you and I are the salt of the earth, in many ways, I think he's gathering up all that he just said in verses 3 through 12, all of those wonderful characteristics of his people, poor in spirit and those who mourn and are gentle and merciful and peacemakers and the like. And I think we could plug in there the spirit-filled life of Galatians chapter 5, that as his people filled with his spirit, we are loving joyful and patient and good and kind and the like. But if the salt has become tasteless, I think it means if a disciple of mine doesn't live like this, isn't characterized by these sorts of things, Christ-likeness, then it's become useless. How can it be made salty again? It would be very, very hard. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Michael Green commenting here says, There should be a flavor of Christ-likeness, a sparkle of joy and unselfishness about Jesus' people that is immensely Attractive. You're the salt of the earth. You've been sprinkled about by Christ. To live Christ-like, spirit-filled life. What does Jesus think about it? If he's got a disciple of his, someone who names the name of Jesus, but who doesn't live like this. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Goodness. So are you demonstrating the life of Christ where you live, where you work, where you study, 
where you play. Jesus goes on, you're not only the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Jesus, of course, himself is the light of the world, but we who are in relationship with him, he says, you too are the light of the world. As we have been enlightened by God, In many ways, as we follow the ways of Christ, we show the way to live. We show what it's like to be in relationship with Jesus. We show what it's like to live the good life following him. I think Jesus is saying something like, my people are a gift to the world of unbelieving, darkened, foolish men. The world is in darkness, Jesus seemed to believe, and my people are the light of the world. I'm sending you out there into the darkness as the light. I think all of us would agree that by the grace of God, whenever we came to interrelationship with God through his son Jesus, and we might say the lights came on for us. Because all of life's most essential questions, if you popped into place, on the most significant questions in the world, we've got answers. Where do we come from? Well, we know. We were created by God. Why are we here? Well, we know. We were created by God to glorify him and enjoy him forever, to be in relationship with him and represent him in the world. What went wrong with the world? We know sin and rebellion against God and his ways that affected not only our relationship with him, but it messed up all of our relationships down here. Well, how's it going to be fixed? Well, we know. God sent his son into the world. To forgive the sins of people who will trust in him and to bring them into relationship with him and to give his very spirit into their lives so that they have new desires and even power to trust and obey God. Where is history going? Well, we know. One day... Jesus Christ is going to return and he's going to make all things new and he's going to reign forever and forever. The lights have come on. We don't walk in darkness. And that's on the, that's on the big issues of life. And then into the details of life, we have the wisdom of the word of God that helps us in this area of life and that area of life as well. Jesus says to his people, you and me, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I thought this morning as I was taking my Sunday morning walk, 
thinking about this sermon, we need to have a theme song. And I know Mark's trying to get us with revival, but I'm trying to get us with this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Right? That's a neat little song. We've known that one forever. Are you? Going to let it shine? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. Are you? Jesus is calling you and me to let our light shine. How? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus seemingly is associating the, the shining of the light with the good works, the, the good deeds, the, the good lives of his people. Maybe those characteristics that he had just talked about and I'm saying Let's put there the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those sorts of things, the Christ-like life, let it shine. And if I can, maybe I divide this up into passive and active. Make of this what you will. In the, in the one hand, in my thinking, there, there's the, the passive. We walk in the power of Christ's spirit, and it's the life we live. The, the people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, on your team, in your classroom, wherever it might be, they experience your love and your joy and your peace and your patience. It's just you filled with the spirit, walking with Jesus, in the circumstances and relationships of your life. And they get to see that and experience that. And it adds credibility to your relationship with Jesus and the times that you've maybe talked about Jesus and the gospel. You might say that that's the passive, but then maybe there's the active. Intentional going above and beyond, if you will, to serve, to love, to make life better for those in your classroom, for those at your workplace, for those in your neighborhood. We're beyond the simple life that you live. You're looking for opportunities to let the light of Christ shine through you. What does Jesus think about his disciples who have his light but put it under a basket? He doesn't say, but I think maybe in a world, in a word, foolish. And I just get that from nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. That would be foolish. Imagine the, the lights went out in here and I said, hey, don't worry about it. I got a light. And I turned on a light, boom, 
and then I took a basket and put it on top. Be like, that was dumb. You just took the light and put it out. Jesus says to you and me, you're the light of the world. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Don't put it under a basket. That would be foolish. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. I want to show you a little video in just a moment, but let me just bring it home a little bit. For Awake in West Houston, from January 30th to February 28th, we're asking you to identify seven people in your life. We, we had originally had it at eight, and then one of, one of the churches in Christ Together, Katie, said, hey, we got this thing going on at our church, and, and we're revolving it around seven. What do you think about changing it to seven instead of eight? And I was like, well, I'm, you know, I've been preaching through the book of Revelation, and seven jumps out everywhere, and so how could you disagree, right? So seven. Identify seven. And then for those 30 days as God leads you, fast. Put an exclamation point on your prayers through fasting. And fasting will look different for every one of us. But every day, pray for those seven. And we've provided prayer guide for you to do that. And then, let your light shine. Let your light shine. Don't hide it under a basket. Initiate time and look for opportunities to serve, to love, and to show the kindness of Jesus. And as he opens doors, share the good news of the gospel. Say, oh, Mitch, I'm so busy. You have no idea what my life looks like, and I get it. There's one little article in here from my buddy uh, Jonathan Dodson, and he, he talks about the busy life and just taking the things that you're already doing in your life and trying to, to see them anew through a, a missional lens. So that might be helpful to read. Then I want to show you a video about a family in Austin who they were busy too. Maybe they're not as busy as you are, but they were busy too. But they believed that Jesus was calling them, in his words, to go above and beyond. And so they began to look for ways that they could, if you will, let their light shine. So let's watch this video. And then Mark and the team, at the end of the video, why don't we sing our song, and then I'll come up at the very end. The idea of going and meeting my neighbors 
I don't put priority. I've never put priority on it. The biggest barrier would be time. At the end of the day, it's, it feels like there's nothing left. I'm tapped out. Both me and my wife have full-time jobs and she's taking classes. Uh, aside from that, I do part-time work for Uber, driving uh, people around. Then we have four kids. So there's band practice, there's after-school activities, there's birthday parties, the things that they wanna do with their friends. Also, I help my mother run errands throughout the week. Then there's a whole other list of activities and friends that we support in our community. We are extremely busy. Hey man, we've been challenged to see if we can find time in our busy schedule to meet our neighbors. What do you think we can do? I think it's a matter of just everybody's being outside. Well, during the week seems completely out of the question. Monday is just that all around hectic day. Tuesday, school. I'm at school. Wednesday. We usually take that day to fill in stuff that we're already too busy to do on Monday and Tuesday. On Thursday, I'm in school. In school. And Friday. It's family night. <laughs> All right. Tonight, it would normally be a family night. You know, we would relax, you know, order pizza, but we're gonna go outside with the family. If we see people in the neighborhood, we're gonna introduce ourselves, try to get to know our neighbors. Over here, right here. Good job. To not bother people, to not engage people. It seems as though the world has changed in such a way to where that's normal now. How's it going? How y'all doing? My name is Jay. I live right over there, 3504. Just come and introduce myself. I believe in a, in a God that asks us to go above and beyond what the normal person might, I think I owe it to reach out. The results might be shocking. Well, if you ever need anything, oh, same here. Try that. I need something to come and knock or something. Appreciate that. All right, David. I probably made it a big deal in my head, but in reality, it was really simple. Hey, how's it going? Mind if I come up? Oh. My name is Jay, Jay Lamar. Loving my neighbors really means, you know, treating the people around me the way I would want, you know, to be treated. Hey, so if you ever need some help or if you ever just want to hang out, you know, extend the invitation, you know, to come hang out. You know, it's Jay, you know what I'm saying? So, even though we're very busy, it was worth it. I feel like I've actually established a bond with those guys that I didn't have before.